Welcome to Mock Stars Pod, the number one pod on the internet in any subject, even though we only talk about magic. We're just the best pod on the net. Sorry. It's it's true. I've actually heard this yeah. before. Yeah, no. I've, no. I've heard this wrong. I, uh, I got an email today. I sent some emails. I checked into it. Best pod on the entire net. You know, we never really congratulated ourselves on that. Yeah. I mean, let's just take a second to pat ourselves. That was really like a milestone we skipped. Yeah. Pat, 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 yeah. Pat. You know, and, and you can see why Dr. Pepper is throwing their, their dollars our way. You know, <laughs> when you get a pod like... Anyway, Mock Stars Podcast. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Chris Ritter. I'm here with my co-host, Evan Kunai. What's up? Jordan Garcia. Yo. And his little dog, Roscoe. Yeah, I put the mic to his mouth. He didn't do anything. Yeah. Dogs can't. All right. Turns well, you're cut. You're out of the pod. <laughs> uh, so check out our socials. You know, it's Mockstars, Mockstars Pod. Link tree down below. Blah, blah, blah. Today, we're going to be talking about threat assessment in EDH. And before that, we have a little intro topic. Mailbag. Mailbag! The mailbag. Yes, everybody's favorite segment where we talk about us spending too much money on magic cards. Um, and and things related to magic. And the paraphernalia. The and the paraphernalia yeah. around it. I spend way too much money on the sleeves for these cards as well. Yeah, this is just a general discussion on what we're receiving to the either like bolster our collections, upgrade our decks, or just f- generally flex New decks, on anybody gas, at the table. Flexing, where are we stung. spending our magic dollars? Yes. Yeah, which are also coincidentally real dollars. And we'll also we be fake currency yep. to acquire this. We'd much rather use that. New part of the segment, we'll actually be bringing out bank statements and kind of going over how much <laughs> we're spending weekly. Stay we tuned. Do, we do have a bank sna- statement <laughs> monitoring my Shockland investment. So I made Evan track it so we can see how much he uh, makes. We'll, we'll cover that on a different day, but stay tuned. Jordan, you want to start with your sweet mailbag acquisition? Yes. Okay, I got some good shit going on this week. Not going to lie, not going to lie. First things first, we've been doing a lot more draft, a lot more limited. And I started seeing the same people that do it all the time at the shop had these kind of like, they've been calling them draft kits I've seen online. You know, you got a box and they have their, they bring all their lands pre-sleeved. Yes, Saves them a little these. time. You get to choose your bougie lands instead of whatever garbage is at the shop. Um, so yeah, I went and I bougified now my limited life and I have a dope little box that has one free box slot for uh, a deck that I build. And the other one is extra sleeves plus the, uh, sleeved up lands. And I got all those infinity galaxy foil. Very sick. I'm super envious of, I don't know if you guys have like been out there and seen all the galaxy foils for like the infinity lands, but these ones are like two dollars a piece yeah they were hot and i don't think they're gonna stay two dollars if i've seen you know anything in the past about the unsets or whatever i think there's just a lot of feel bads or like are surrounding the unsets because like everyone was expecting to buy the collector's boosters boxes and get like galaxy foil shock lands you know and then not a lot of packs are being open to that right right and it feels really bad when you like get to that galaxy foil slot and it's a basic land and it's not even the primo basic land and I think that just over time, that's going to make that you know more and more expensive. And all these onsets are already shown that there's good collector status with these lands usually. So yeah, I picked those up. I got ten each, and they look freaking sick as hell. And you got a sexy box too. Yeah, thanks, dude. I do have a sexy box. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you have a very sexy box, Jordan. Uh, it's pretty sick. It's one of those game genic ones with the uh, the dual. I was looking at those today at a uh, card kingdom. Very nice. Evan Short said box. there was they were like the next 
kind of step up in quality and i don't disagree now that i've been playing with it a little bit like it's it's great yeah i mean i've been in the game for a while now and just watching like i know ultra pro had like the scene for a long time with like deck boxes and then all of a sudden here comes like the boulders and stuff like that and then game genic over the last like three years has kind of come out of nowhere and it's just been like hey we're actually kind of taking over the market now so yeah. buy our stuff because everyone has it and they're sleek and they're nice yeah my whole goal was like i was tired of just having all this shit with me my backpack my tube my mat tube you know deck box sleeves and everything and so i just wanted one thing i could show up with without a backpack and now i can take just this box in a mat tube and i am completely done so you know i'm not when the game first first round starting i'm not running around like a madman just carrying tons of shit yeah i mean i am gonna be that madman. i always am so i'm hoping this helps a little bit we'll see what happens uh not trying to take up too much time but the other thing i got i just got a notification today and i'm extremely excited about it is i got a new uh alter commission and i just saw the art for my world gorger dragon i'm gonna post this up on our uh, instagram later so check it out yeah this thing is hot it is the artwork that world gorger dragon should have had initially and even with the reprint it's the artwork that it should it should have sick card needs sick art it, yeah. yeah and it's for my evelyn deck it's my like grixis bullshit cdh deck shout out i'm actually upgrading malcolm into evelyn um and my goal is to either have super bougie foils of everything or altars of everything especially when that comes to the win cons in the deck so this was kind of the next progression and i knew it was kind of a cheap card so i this shout out to dadzy uh, I'll post them below. He's freaking great, and he has a very good rate on stuff like that. So I'll, I'll, the best rate, the best rate. He's he's almost underselling how talented he is on his time. So yeah, definitely. So take advantage of him while you can. Ladies All right, <laughs> I'm taking the reins, dude. Passing it on over to Evan. What do we got here? My ma- my mailbag, dude. I've just got today in the mail. Yep. I'm super excited. I love when an envelope shows up from the mailman, like he passes over, and I'm just like flipping through the mail, and it's like shoop shoop shoop. Ooh, it's my. Especially mail. when we get yeah. it at work. Yeah, we great. get him at work. <laughs> <laughs> See the little card imprint on the envelope. And yes. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you. Or if it's the TCG Direct logo, and I'm like, I'll be right back. (laughs) Sorry, I'm taking a 10-minute break. It's my 10-minute break. Yep. So uh, I ripped this thing open today. I'm expecting a couple of things, which my mailbag segment today is kind of focusing in my career in Pioneer. So I opened up this envelope. I pulled out the card, and you know what it is? It's my borderless foil Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. Yeah, card, if you haven't seen it, is pretty freaking great. Disgusting. Yeah, it is disgusting, and especially in my Menace to Society Pioneer deck, which is all revolving around Labyrinth Raptor and anything that has Menace. So, like, Goldhound, Professional Facebreaker, uh, Okiba Reckoner Raid, because it flips and uh, turns into a creature. So annoying. It's uh, like, it just so kind of like, you know, turn one Okiba Reckoner Raid, and then you can just like, as like the turns tick on, you know, you throw the Labyrinth Raptor out and you're just spawning more creatures because they're generating generated over time. It's a pretty cool thing. But the Phyrexian Flesh Gorger just kind of like rounds out the package for the deck it's a great thing to drop on turn three um that's a very good thing to drop yeah turn three because you know if i'm losing the life match matchup it helps me recover there and then uh also you know exchanges life for being able to be targeted the ward paying life equal to its power is just absurd so when you're like i'm also playing malachir rebirth so when you hit 
the Flash Gordon with Malachi Rebirth when someone's trying to kill it and it comes back and it's a seven five instead is super hot. That's a that's an insta scoop for me. Yeah, I absolutely love the deck. And if you guys want to check out the list, I'll put that in the description below. Uh, but this is the one I'm taking to like live events now, and I've been playing it a lot on Arena. The thing is, is they don't have Pioneer; they have Historic, Ugh. which is a problem because we have a whole episode on how disgusting uh, Alchemy is. Yeah, Alchemy is just. Yeah, like my deck is called Menace the Society, but it's truly the alchemy cards that are mess. <laughs> I respect uh, Wizards' commitment to making the arena experience bad in every respect. <laughs> uh, bad formats, uh, bad market, just it, it's incredible. Well, at their initial pitch for these cards is like, hey, we're making digital-only cards because that way we can go in and we can edit their mana values, the, their abilities, and what they do. We can balance these cards as they're played. Principle bunch of broken cards and never fucking yeah, balances them never yep. fixes them yep perpetual like perpetually gaining uh, is insane perpetually just, go fuck yourself yeah oh my god it is awful but uh my second I little envelope i'm still waiting for but it is on the way are two uh hive of the eye tyrant would help which help kind of round out this deck too for a long time when i get caught in these like board white battles in pioneer or like someone is just stout on the removal or they're responding to me really well um they just kind of have my number the hive of the eye tyrant helps turn things around because if i can just put out a, a labyrinth raptor and then be able to activate the eye tyrant and put it up onto the battlefield it creates that menace threat that they're either gonna have to block uh sacrifice a creature or take the damage you know so it just kind of like keeps like my board presence like there you know you know what i'm saying like my board presence is super hard to interact with lands too exactly in, in this format yeah man lands just keep kind of keep you from gassing out you know like after the removals been wasted and stuff everybody's down to top decking mode it's just all of a sudden you have a little menace creature that's been sitting there all game it is so good yep yeah the uh i mean hall of the storm giants is good for a reason yeah i played and that in my mono blue gin deck and that is stupid i'm starting to see the value in Hive of the Eye Tyrant. So I'm really glad that I picked those up. I, I mean, you've been playing in the Commander for a long time, right? Yeah. 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 So I finally got the module versions. Super sick purple border that I'm uh, really hot on. Kind of cheap. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, 10 bucks for foils. So not necessarily the cheapest card in the world, but okay, it was no. it was a great pickup nonetheless. I think mine were cheaper than yours. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It helps me bolster uh, bolster this deck that I'm, I'm super passionate about at the moment. Yeah, it's so. been a lot of fun playing Pioneer. Yeah. Uh, all right, Ritter. That's that is. I'm gassed out on this. That's all I got. What'd you gassed get? Gassed out. Oh, I, well, I didn't actually receive anything, but I, today I received a shipping notification uh, on my first ever secret layer. The Junji Ito secret layer finally got that uh, notification. Let's go. Yeah, Let's uh, go. Which is very timely for uh, Wizards. I believe it was initially supposed to ship around Thanksgiving, so we're recording this about three weeks after that. Uh, you know, that's actually not too bad. Yeah, it heads I heads I win, tail tails you lose. That was like over a year, right? Shout out, yeah. I think yeah. people yeah. I just started getting him in the mail. I started seeing some stuff on YouTube about it. So <laughs> yeah, and apparently the deck is awful. So <laughs> 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 they were just waiting on the coin. Yeah. That's what the whole thing was just like waiting on yeah. them to manufacture those coins. You know, that deck was named uh, from the perspective of, of wizards. Heads they win, <laughs> tails the consumer loses. I think. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's really what I got. I, you know, making some purchases at Mox or Card Kingdom, uh, just upgrading a bunch of decks lately. Yeah, you just, yeah, start just built a new deck, new deck too. I did. Uh, I built uh, Borborgamos Enraged. Uh, I built a baseline version of it last week, 
and uh, had a lot of fun playing with it. Didn't take home any dubs, uh, but I just really enjoyed it. It was fun. It's it's a different style of play for me. It was awesome. Uh, so this week I came back with some upgrades Let's to, go. Uh, to you know get more serious about it. Very excited yeah. to get my ass kicked later. I absolutely yeah. love that because the deck did at least show its potential last week. You were scared of it both yeah, games. You like, did. I mean, I targeted you. Saw you. A lot. Yeah, you said <laughs> you acted like I was the threat at the table. Yeah. Literally a majority of the time because I'm like, I know the combo lines here, guys. We need to we need to step in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like yeah. your deck didn't do anything. You were a threat like a lot in those games. Yeah, n- rarely do I ever take the pressure off of Jordan and shift it somewhere else. Like <laughs> most of the time if we're sitting at a table, like my political agenda is to shut Jordan down. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you that deck yeah. uh definitely stands to got a little meaner yeah, this it, week, so let's watch go. out. Yeah. Well, I'm bringing something meaner too. Good. Let's go. Yeah. What do we got? Did you see this oh. arms race in action right now? Yeah, yeah. I'm bringing Xerus, but I'm packing in a mutate package. Now. Ooh. So, okay. You've been talking crazy. about that for a little while. Yeah. You know, it's just a uh, mutate. I don't know what it is, why it's coming back up. I think it was we were building a cube and we wanted to have mutate as a, an yeah. aspect of this mm-hmm. cube. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled all these cards out and I was just like, man, these are a lot of fun. So that's kind of the deal. Yeah. You guys weren't in standard uh, when. Aquaria was legal, but some of those mutate decks, they were like tier two decks and they were oh. just really fun. Auspicious. They can they can go off. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. See it. Migratory Great Horn, like Scoot Swarm, like all those cards, they all go off. Yes. Yeah. Guys, guys, listeners, what other content creators here, what other podcasters talking about magic play so many different formats? We know everything. We play Pioneer. We play Standard. We're building a cube. We play Draft, Commander, CDH. If you guys want to talk about Anna Mayhem, we can <laughs> do that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's honestly, the Patreon tier. That's, yeah, Patreon. That's, $50 that's Patreon additional right content. Yeah, honestly, for anyone listening, if you're downloading our podcast somewhere, if you're watching us on YouTube, leave us some feedback in the comments below uh, so we can kind of get a general direction on where we're heading. We want you know uh, you guys to sort of steer this ship along with uh, well, along with us. Yeah. You know, that you're magic, on yeah, magic pa- Patreon in the new year, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. I, I got to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lots of new stuff to come in the new year. Big, big, big plans. But for now, let's move on to our main topic. Evan, what is it again? Threat assessment. That was good. Yeah, I, I think we should hey. actually sample that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think we did get that. That was pretty hot. All right, stay tuned. We're going to be spamming that all the time. All right, guys. So what is threat assessment? How would you define threat assessment, Evan? I would define threat assessment as assessing the threat properly. Nailed it. It is like it is so like I think yes last week when we were talking about contextual analysis uh, when it comes to cards it kind of comes down to threat assessment being contextual and in this context we're talking about EDH which broadens the horizon you know of of, of this this discussion because like threat assessment in a 1v1 format is very calculated you can make that decision knowing exactly it's pretty zero sum yeah yeah, yeah. you look at your opponent's hand what do they have for options you look at their board bing 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 you know put two and two together and you can generally come to a conclusion in EDH it is so much more complex than that and that's why oftentimes it boils down to a political argument like at the table where you're just like well hey guys what's the most dangerous thing at the table you know well wh- where what am i going what am i shooting this at you, because sometimes people just don't want to like make those decisions because threat assessment is hard you know it's what makes being a competitive edh player a difficult like job because you are coming across 
hundreds of thousands of interactions and knowing where to stick your finger in in the proper windows because Mm -hmm. priority is this wonky thing that if you're not necessarily an experienced magic player is going to be a very confusing like subject uh threat assessment is one of the more complex ideas uh that the game that we can discuss about yeah you have to you have to weigh whether or not the threat is worth the resources you have to spend on getting rid of it. Like, and exactly what you're saying, how uh, it's a contextual concept in commander in EDH, it's a four player pod. So if you burn a one piece of removal on a threat, because you've assessed it as a threat, the card disadvantage you're putting yourself at from now that three other people at the table have that card up on you versus, you know, in a 1v1 setting, it is you remove that. And so you guys are essentially one for one. Yeah, you generally don't. I mean, there are strategies in EDH where it's just like, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to sit back. Oh, there goes a burn spell. Oh, there goes a counter. Oh, there goes interaction. It's my time to shine. That win fourth mentality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, they're kind of like holding back. Like you're still holding up interaction and resources. And um, like over time, you're going to learn. I think that's a big thing is the more experience you have at the table and commander, the more you're going to learn what threats are. And it comes down to mm-hmm. your pod, the pod you're regularly playing in. Like who is the threat? And in my pod back home in Wisconsin, it's clearly Chris. I know you're listening. Shout to out Chris. to Chris. Chris. Hate him. Hate him. Hate other Chris. <laughs> yeah. He's my enemy. <laughs> Every other Chris has yep. to be your enemy. Yeah. Right? He's That's my right. natural enemy in the other pod. <laughs> so, you know, like, uh, threat assessment over time and experiencing that, like, I think I learned a really valuable lesson in threat assessment when I let a Kinnon sit on the board for a single turn. Rookie I had, mistake. I had. <laughs> Never again. Yeah, I had the removal, and then it's just like. What is one turn? Or I had the counter or something like that. And I'm like, I could kill that. And I didn't. I think by definition, like anything that is kill on site requires seeing it twice. Like getting that knowledge requires the painful lesson the first time. Yeah. The question I kept asking myself when I saw the results of uh, Marchesa was, how did this Magda deck go 7-0? and and it's Lack be- of threat assessment. Yeah, it's like it was a lack of threat assessment, but it was also because uh, Koibito, the guy who put the deck together, he like put it together in a way that no one had seen those lines before. And so, like, like you said, you need to be able to see it once. The thing is, in that context, seeing it once is too late. Mm, yep. So, you know, in competition, that's that's actually a pretty cool thing yeah. to be able to walk in with almost like a, a hidden hand. Like, you, no one knows what you're doing. Yeah. I think people get that. Uh, I would say it's a daily thing now on the uh, the EDH subreddits where people are asking me, like, hey, what are unexpected commanders? I'm like, seeing that a lot. I mean, yeah, you just, there was, there's precedent that weird decks win tournaments. Like, Mm-hmm. Magda won that Teferi Chainville just won that giant Black Lotus tournament. Yeah, like, and a comedian took Tivit to tournament and just yeah. reali- started showing people how freaking strong that is. Yeah, not that I think that's like fringe. I think he just, it was so new and yeah. really demonstrated exactly how powerful that deck is. Right. The world was seeing it for the first time, yeah, essentially. Then, uh, I definitely think we'll be seeing that around pretty much a lot. Yeah, we saw. So it, it was that tournament happened. The what was it? The what was it called? The tournament? Which one? Uh, the one that comedian took Tivit to. Oh, it was the first Mox Masters. Yeah, 
So the Mox Masters tournament, and then we went to that tournament in Olympia right after that, and my first pod I played in was a Tibbet player, yeah. because he was like, yeah, I just saw this deck played, and I had I all the cards, that. so yep. I put it together. Yep, I believe that. Yep. So instantly, I had watched a tournament, I had watched the game, like, and I listened to the commentators and saying, like, oh, these are the combo lines, this is what you're going for, this is what you want to see, you know, like, you want to see a time sieve here, like, right now, just win the game for him. So immediately, I'm just like, okay, threats, threats, threat, that, you know, like, threats that I need to yeah. like, keep my eyes open for. If a time sieve goes on the stack, I know it's either now or never. It's going to be too late after that point. Yeah, for sure. And that's like, that is threat assessment to a high degree in competitive kind of formats. It's just you will get to the point of you know what's in the other person's deck, whether it's in a constructed format or if it's in EDH, where like you know if you're playing against Tivit, the time sieve is coming. They're going to tutor for it. It's always You're always going to see it. It's like in a Grixis deck, you're probably always going to see Dockside. Yeah. Yep, it's uh, it's kind of wild. I think we can like step back even from like the competitive nature of it and just know that, like, threat assessment on as far as like, I don't even know you in commander you can almost make threat assessment based on what's in the command zone, too. You can yeah, I mean because you're you're forecasting what you're going to do eventually, right? Like, you know, nine times out of ten. The commander is not there just for the colors that you want to play. The, the you know the commander is part of your win con, right? It's a part of your yeah. It's your or your engine or you know whatever you want to call it. It's a central part of your deck. Yes, yeah, right. your strategy, strategy. like yeah. the, what the deck is built to do. Yep, and there are some cards that just scream. I guess uh, here, let me before I get into like individual cards that like scream threat assessment or like scream threat to me. It's like. Threat assessment can be based off of like the information that you have. The more information that you have, the more like uh, I guess fit you are to be able to uh, uh, properly assess a threat. Yeah. So uh, you're looking at someone's hand. You're like, how many cards you got in hand? That's a question that flies around the table all the time. Yeah. You got five cards in hand. Ooh. Okay. Maybe they got options. Their commander is this, and this is their board state. So you can start making like assumptions as to what they're going to do, um, and then over time, playing with people over time, you're gonna yeah be able to deduce and boil things down and use that information to your advantage. Yeah. I also think there's a few different categories in threat assessment. Like I think there's, you know, or different things that can be threats rather. Like there are win conditions. Yes. But there's also tutors that are terrifying because they can do anything. Um, there's, you know, card advantage engines, like a risk study is a threat and it should always be considered a threat, but there's a lot of times where it's not necessarily considered a threat. I mean, it's kind of like triage. You have to place, you have to create a priority of things. Like what is the immediate threat? Right. What is going to win right now? What is going to stop me from winning? What is going to, you know, help other players win? Right. You know, all those sort of things. Like there's a lot, you know, whatever the board state is, it can be as complicated as it is. In a competitive environment, there's all always going to be somebody who's threatening to go off if it's not multiple players in, right. at that table. Um, and you, you know, the biggest part of threat assessment for me is deciding, okay, what has to happen in this moment? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, I was going to say is like it even speaks to like more of the contextual side of the threat assessment again is like what stage of the game are you in? Like a really early turn heuristic study is one of the most terrifying things you can yeah. see essentially especially in a competitive thing where everybody's just casting a billion spells mm -hmm. it's just you're going to stay ahead the entire time so if that lands you are 
you're locked in. You're in driver's seat. Yeah. Turn one Esper Sentinel can hang out on the board. Uh, can you know is kill on sight, but like a turn ten Esper Sentinel can hang out. Exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. Even if an Esper Sentinel sits for a long time, you know, it's like after a while, it just sort of its threat sort of dissipates, even though it's still mm-hmm. maintaining yep. the same level of. Value. Yeah. No. Everybody paid for the first round in the yep. second round, and all of a sudden, wow, it's turn seven. That thing's still fucking here. <laughs> yeah. It's why Mystic Remora isn't as like I, I guess like Mystic Remora too is like uh, early turn Mystic Remora on turn one even is enough to push the game three turns down the line Mm -hmm. so like that's one thing where are you gonna burn are you gonna give them a card to remove the s or to remove the mystic remora so that you can like push yourself forward and catapult yourself out in front like can you win if it's gone yeah and it creates this dilemma in the four-player pod where one person goes to cast a mystic remora and one person has the interaction whether it's a counter on the stack or it's removal after the fact and they're like, am I going to, especially when it's already resolved, because if you're going to try and remove it, then you're like, am I going to burn a card in my hand to give them a card and then everybody else had to do nothing? Literally a two for one. It's a, it's essentially a prisoner's, prisoner's dilemma every single time it comes down on turn yeah. one. It is uh, absolutely ridiculous. You just sit, you know, you just sit and you let the game just sort of naturally play out. Like it's, it's where like competitive magic turns into play a land pass. Yeah. Or play a creature pass. You know, that's why creature shells have actually become more popular. Yeah, it turns to beat people to death. (laughs) Yeah, it becomes a much more savage, brutal blowout than uh, if you were just to be left to your own devices or the table is left to its own devices. Yeah. So I guess uh, my first, like, real experience in threat assessment and commander was the first time I lost to Defense of the Heart. Yeah, it that'll was do it. Like it was the first time that I'd really like in this format had seen the most I the most broken at the I was like, this card is should be banned. You know, it was like and then they go grab Avacyn, <laughs> so all their stuff's indestructible, and then they grabbed a Gishath, and then they just started punching through and flipping all their dinosaurs onto the battlefield. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Like this sucks. But also, I should have assessed that threat better. <laughs> well, you it was your first time seeing guard. You didn't well, know the lines. Yeah, yeah I didn't there's, know yeah. at all. Yeah. A lot of times that's how you are better at threat assessment is you get your ass beat by yep, something yep. and then you don't do, let it happen again. I think we've said it many times. You learn more by losing than you do by winning. 100%. That's yeah. why this game's so good. And we're all yep. a bunch of losers. That's- yeah. we. That is the tagline of the Mock Stars podcast. We are the best losers. Yeah, that's why we're qualified to speak on these things. Yes. We've lost a lot. In Never every 10, format. Hours hey, my competitive losing, yeah. commander record, my CDH <laughs> record is O and X. It's O and X, baby. <laughs> I've learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Always learning. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I guess I, the, the political battle that threat assessment like churns forth is is probably the like, most frustrating thing in Commander for me. Yes, this is where people take advantage of the fact that threat assessment in this format is very hard and most people are not good at it. Yeah, right. I mean, but it does feel good to convince someone else to use the burn spell in their hand oh, so you sure. can preserve yours for your own purposes later. Of course. Yeah, I you can't know. tell you how many times I've sat at the table, done nothing, had three cards in hand, and then people target the hell out of me and like remove pointless shit from my board. You know, it's like, you don't know what's in my hand. I give you that. You know, you can see what's in my command zone, sure, but it's just like having like this reputation for being explosive can hurt you in the political landscape yeah. landscape of threat assessment. I mean, I know we're specifically talking about EDH, but I've just been playing more constructed lately and 
I've been realizing that you can't just jump at the first threat. Like sometimes you just have to take seven to the face because like next yeah. turn is when you need to interact. Yeah. Life doesn't matter until yep. it's gone. Exactly. Last life is the only one that matters. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, same context. It's just like, yeah, you have some wizards on the board and you're trying to stack up value, but it's not until I see that Vayron that is like, all right, now we got to kill it. Yeah, I have an Adelie's deck that uh, is if Adelie's on the board and I can Isochron Scepter for dramatic reversal, it's GG's. You know, it's pretty great. But uh, just the knowing- most fair Isochron Scepter deck ever. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, getting those infinite instant cast triggers is nice. Um, there have just been examples of political battles that have been fought at the table that have resulted in wins when if you're going on a pure calculated like if you're calculating threat assessment instead of like kind of going with your gut and telling what your instincts do like more games would be clear cut but now i've seen so many players win through political arguments i mean you see me do it to you all the time yeah yeah (laughs) well it's just even not you Right. I've been sitting at a table doing nothing, being helpless for turns in a row. And then a player looks at me and he's like, he's playing green. He probably has Sylvan Library in his deck, which means he's using his life as a resource. And then I'm like, I don't even have it on the battlefield. What are you talking about? And then the dude, the other dude goes, that's a good point. And he just starts punching me in the face. It's like, you're not punching the person playing black punish them you know i mean if there's a person playing black you always hit them you punish them that's so funny and then so the guy the 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 person playing black was just like he's green he's playing green the person that was playing black said that yeah yeah i know hilarious uh next turn ad nauseum yeah i know that's literally that's what happened they peered like after uh using or yeah after losing like they got punched down to like 20 and then they're like starting to get worried about their life total and they just go he's playing green he's probably using life as a resource well i mean yeah no that's a classic case of someone being bad someone being good at politics and other people being bad at threat assessment because everyone else at the table should have known you might win eventually but that black player was biding time to win the next turn yeah it was uh the funny thing is is that yeah it becomes the person who decides like make the decision to switch their target is the person who is at fault for threat assessment there like the pol- political argument is great like, oh it is yeah. great oh and yeah no uh, that respect to that player <laughs> yeah, like, yeah yeah right great think play. of that on the spot and then like the thing was is i looked at the guy and i kind of gave him like a side eye glance because i go i have two cards in hand and it is turn 6 I'm telling you, by now, if I had the Sylvan Library, you think I would have played it? Right. You you now turn six, tutor for Sylvan Library, cast it, and then goes next all the way around the table, <laughs> and then I'll get turn drunk. seven. Yeah, <laughs> you get three freaking cards, baby. Know, yeah, but I mean, I don't think I can politically argue with our pod anymore. I, you know, I. Uh, I've maybe taken advantage of people's innocence one too many times, and that has come to punt, like kick me in the ass, like down the line. You do seem to enjoy that. What? What? Taking <laughs> taking advantage of like <laughs> no. more naive players? <laughs> no. Uh, no, no. I just I think at a certain point we all get to know each other so well. So I was like, nah, I'm not taking any shit. I'm just gonna swing at you. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys were to like. Pick your top kill on site target. What what would it be for threat assessment? Well, I guess it depends on like again, like is it a win condition? Because you always have to interact if you see a win condition. But like, 
I don't know. One thing that sticks out in your brain if you ever see it, you kill Fucking it. Fucking smothering tithe. Nobody does anything about smothering tithe ever. It's a f- no one counters it. No one destroys it. Smothering tithe. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody pays for yep. it. <laughs> it's <laughs> three and a, or three and a white. Start winning the game. I feel like yeah. any of those taxing cards that come down early. Uh, we've talked about a couple: Mystic Remora, Esper Sentinel, Smothering Tide. Mm-hmm. Anything like again, yeah. like you always say, like make people make bad decisions. Like anything that leaves it to a group of people to come together and make a consensus. Wow. Real yeah. appli- applications yeah. to the real fucking world. And you know right what? Now. Those people are going to make those bad decisions over and over, and over again. It's going to snowball. Time. And then all of a sudden the smothering tithe player has 14 treasure tokens. The turn. Wow. You know, yeah, the thing Guys, is, is, the real world application is ridiculous. I, it's like one of those things where it's like, even if Mr. Gramora is out, right? And someone's like, don't feed the fish, don't feed the fish. And then one player goes, I'm going to feed it once. And then it gives permission to the rest of the table like, well, to I'm gonna feed, feed it four thing. times then. Yeah, it's like, you fed it. I'm going to feed it now. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? It's like, and then everybody loses it except for the guy with all the money. Yeah, but the smothering tithe are on the same lines. It's like you see one player skip that like that trigger and just let that person get a treasure. It just gives permission to the whole table. And I think at some point, like you see a smothering tithe, you see that player has like fifteen treasure tokens, and you're like, well, fuck it, no, well, I can't do anything now. But yeah. you can. You can destroy that smothering tithe, and then they got to spend those treasure tokens, and then they go away. Yep. Like, yeah. Like like they're it's still a threat. Like. You know, just because just he's gotten a ton of value doesn't mean there's not a threat there still from it. Right. Yeah, they need a sink or an outlet or something in order to k- use those treasures for, for whatever purpose. So, like, yes, Smothering Tithe is something that if you happen to top deck into, like, enchantment removal, use it on the Smothering Tithe if there's nothing else that is garnering a greater threat. But I can't imagine what would unless you're, like, looking at a rule of law that's stopping you from winning or yeah. know, deafening silence or something like that. I don't know. I, I think, mean, but I mean, even then, a lot of times those stacks pieces aren't the threat on the table. Yeah, because they're, they're right. also preventing other players besides that. Player. Probably the player with yeah. the smothering tide to, from not doing shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, yeah, smothering tide is a great example. Is people who just like let it slide across, you know, the board for so long, and they just don't even bother to interact with. Yeah. Them. So I guess like in that context, would be like things that are political pieces that I don't rely on people to necessarily navigate properly or just kind of advantage value pieces that are going to let somebody eke ahead in the game because it is the thing that probably won't get interact with because everybody's waiting for like a nine drop, like 10, 10 trample haste, you know, kind of thing. But that is never the thing that ever worries me in a game of magic. You know what worries me that I, uh, that's killing sight swift foot boots. Yes. And lightning griefs. Yep. Yeah. Because that... Haste is real good. That makes the Shroud and hexproof, too. Yeah. Yep. It makes the 10-10 that I'm not scared of actually scary. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild. I think that uh, a while back, the um, Command Zone did a podcast episode on what were the most underrated keywords in the game. And haste was like their number one. And it's wild. Still is, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what? Haste is even better in Commander than it is in other formats because you're uh, you're getting addition, uh, two additional turns worth of value out yes. of it, essentially, like player turns. Like instead of waiting for one player to have their turn pass back to you to get value out of your creature, now all of a sudden you're gaining back three player turns. Yeah. You know? Right. And I think like Lightning Graves for me in, in Xerus is a great, because I play Cryptolith, right? It's just move the greaves tap it yeah add mana move the greaves tap lightning it, mana mm-hmm. broken cards are also high on my threat assessment list oh, and yeah. lightning greaves would be one of them skull clamp is another one yeah kyle if you're listening to this <laughs> your lightning greaves are always going to be my number one target yes you put it, is it in every deck 
every deck is some commander that will do something terrifying plus find lightning greaves before I cast it. Yes. Yeah. So like, yeah, a Kalia deck that's running, you know, they cast a lightning greaves on turn two and they're looking at a turn three Kalia. It's like, yeah, of course I'm going to kill the greaves. Hey, I don't even need to see that creature coming to kill the Greaves. Right. Because yeah. you know something's going to come. It's that, Yeah. Ideally, that. you kill it long before the creature ever comes. Yeah. And that is, a, that's also a great one that people just like, they, people do see it and they do like oftentimes remove it, but there are times when they see it and they just go, yep. I, I feel like, I, I can wait. I feel like a lot of people, myself included, I'm guilty of this, of just like removing it after it's too late. Where, like, it's already attached to the Kali and Kali is swinging. I'm like, God, I have to remove these. I have to remove these or we're going to lose this. But yeah. we should have just done this three turns ago before there were, you even had Before five you ate mana. 20 damage. Yeah. 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 It essentially becomes a totem armor of sorts because you got to kill that first before you can start. Yeah. Exactly. That's a very Kalia. good way of put it, putting it. And you need to, that means you need to have either rely on other people to help you with removing it or you need to have two pieces of very specific removal one an artifact and one a creature that's a good point because i know that a lot of conversations go around the table when it comes down to lightning greaves it's like can you get rid of this can you get rid of this like i have a busy removal can you get rid of this like it's it requires a lot more teamwork to like dance around those things i'd say that's probably one of the times i am most political is when there's a lightning grease because usually i'm not I usually don't have the removal to do both. I don't know if I've ever seen you run artifact removal. No, Cathar Commander, right? Cathar Commando, and I've run a braid in most of my red decks. Okay. Um, That's probably about it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're really climbing on Cathar Commando, though. I think you've been an advocate for it since its release. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, Wholeheartedly stand by it. Also, shout out to Heliod's Intervention. I think that card is amazing. Yeah. Also, another underrated piece. I, you know, even non EDH related, I've seen those cards see a lot of play in Arena and they pulled just as much weight there. Yeah. Really, really great. I've actually been seeing them recently too. And then, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, As far as like what I see to kill on site, mine's actually creature based. Like, well, I talked about Kinnon before. It's like Kinnon is like kill on site. Um, but my number one is Seedborn Muse. That's a very good one. That and is, I think it's one that slides a lot, actually. Yeah. It's it's something that like when I see it, I just know the shenanigans are up. Like there's a reason just, they want to untap those permanents. Yeah, or because they have a handful of cards. They need that like like instant speed interaction or mm-hmm. whatever. It's like you are or do you have value in your utility lands uh so i mean there have been times when uh i've seen jordan play thrasios and he'll put out the seaborn muse and i just immediately like i don't care about thrasios nope no it's seaborn muse you, you literally always have to kill seaborn muse. Yeah. if it's a thrasios tech playing seaborn muse that is number one threat well it's like well th- there was an argument at the table one day where they're like uh, you know, I went ahead and I uh, used Song of the Dryads on your Seedborn Muse, and the table went, "Why? Why won't you hit Thrasios with it? Because then he can't, you know, use <laughs> yeah. Thrasios." And I was just like, "Trust me, you know, it's like." And then the Seedborn Muse just sits there, and then all of a sudden Thrasios can't. Thrasios is not nearly as good. Yeah, not nearly as good. It's like every turn he would be getting these, like still having resources untap every yeah. single turn. Yeah. So like it still allows you to like feed your mana into your hand rather than into Thrasios. But you know, I digress. It's like one of those cards that like is, if I see it, Kill it dies. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, that's honestly why <laughs> I don't necessarily play it anymore. I don't play decks that necessarily use it as much as I used to. So mm-hmm. um, that's a, I don't know. It's a card that I've I've used to love a lot, and now I just I, I just, I'm just cooling on it. But I see other people 
still love playing it, and I just it's just one thing I see it, and I'm like, kill it, kill it, kill it. Yeah, I mean, Thrasios Seedborn Muse is like very, very, very good in CDH. There are other effects like. All the muses are actually pretty freaking great. I don't know if you guys have like, it, like Graveborn Muse and Windborn Muse are also really great. And I actually, I don't view those with as much contempt, but uh, they're... because they're, they're not as good. Well, uh, yeah, but they still do generate a lot of value. So yeah. creature-based um, engines like Drum Bellower uh, is starting to like climb up that because I see it as like a very similar effect that you can also uh, eventually abuse for infinite loops or infinite nons- nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it's just like essentially a secondary seedboard muse. Yeah. Same concept. Yeah, especially in your Katilda deck. It was great. Yeah, I think it was crazy, actually. Yeah, I miss that. Yeah, that deck sucked, though. Rebu- no, rebuild it. Come on. The deck actually is I want you to, hot garbage. I want you to lose more. <laughs> it is such... Like, it does things, but is always bad. Regardless of what it's doing at any given moment, until Kogla hits the battlefield, and then it's like that's cool, but also still bad. Let's talk about a card that is not properly assessed ever. It is Kogla. <laughs> Everybody should have sleeping on Kogla yeah. for a giant ape. It's pretty slept on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's starting to like rise in price, and people are like starting to play it more. But damn, does that thing just hit the battlefield? And Excellent stick? card. It's a yep. th- and it's a threat the second it comes out forever. Like anything that says pay mana and make it indestructible is i think kind of scary immediately i mean it's that card is good enough that there are times in dina hulk where i want to get the protein hulk and grab kogla with it instead of one of the win cons like if i don't you know oh, i, I don't have the pieces miss- just as good yeah, I, think you just, I think you miss off it right or because it's is kogla six or seven it's six, six. it's six damn yep. you're right yeah yeah it's, it's a worthy target for protein hulk it is it's that good great yeah. yeah like a super grindy game or staxy game like yep. boom now i'm just i'm a fighter commander now every turn i just swing kill an enchantment like we were fighting a zer deck and i was like um i have a kogla i think we're gonna be fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll fight zer first <laughs> i'll fight zer and then just one by one. Yeah. That, that, the Zer decks we've been running into lately, um, I guess even creature-based threats, Kali and Zer are both like right there in the same tier as like kill on site. Um, but like uh, Zer decks that we've been playing against recently abuse the propaganda effects. Yeah, I was actually going to speak to just a larger topic of I think enchantments as a whole are like woefully underviewed, undervalued. There's I think they not are, enough enchantment removal index. It's hard to interact with outside of certain colors. And yeah, once yeah. You, once you can just accrue so many permanents on the board, it's pretty easy to break the game. It's pretty easy to get too much value, more value than you have any business having. Yeah, it's why I'm so hot. Like that's why when I built the Zakama deck, that's why I'm so hot on enchantments with Sarah Sanctum and uh, yeah. Sanctum Weaver and all that. It's just enchantments can accrue so quickly. You can generate quite a bit of value off of them because they're accruing value turn after turn after turn. Carpet of flowers, stuff like that. But you definitely draw the attention of other players the more permanence you start to see hitting the battlefield Mm -hmm. so it is something that is slept on but definitely can draw the eye if you're not careful about how you how you play it out no for sure so um enchantment removal play more of it i think that's why when you see removal in like in regards to threat assessment you see more uh like people tend to take or value permanent, like non-land permanent removal over like specific removal. You know, like I would play Feed the Swarm, but, um, you know, if I'm also playing blue, I'm rather just go Cyclonic Rift because it just bounces, you know, so. Yeah, you need you need more 
we, I think we just need more options that happen to have like modal option destroy target enchantment. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of good options. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. For sure. But. Yeah, enchantments are just kind of completely underlooked. They are just so good. Yeah, Sanctum Weaver. Get them while you can. Yeah. Still super cheap. Still super cheap. Super great. If you guys want to know more about that Zakama build for enchantress purposes and competitive EDH, you can find the list below in the description. Uh, it's it's a it's a passion project. I love enchantment. There's also a full deck tech episode. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Also, the other half of threat assessment is interacting with those threats. And we've been talking about a lot of interaction this uh, episode, but we have a whole episode about interaction. We'll link that down below. Evan, you have a lot of linking to do in this episode. I do. And it's a you task. Sh- everyone should just listen to every episode, I think. Yeah. I, think that, I mean, if yeah. you haven't already yeah. listened to the interaction episode, then get the fuck out. Yeah. And like I said earlier, if you guys are listening right now, comment with your feedback below. Share this with your friends. Like, subscribe, hit that little ding-a-ling bell. What's your biggest kill on site that nobody else seems to think is a kill on site? Because I want to know. I want to see this in the comments. <laughs> Interact. <laughs> Interact with us. All right, guys, you got anything else? Uh, no, no, I'm actually I, chilling. Yeah. I'm ready to crush the last little drops of this Dr. P, this crisp Dr. P I've been sucking on all episode. Just what? <laughs> <laughs> Can we isolate that? Can we get that clean? Chris, yeah. Chris, just to clarify, he's talking about Dr. Pepper. Inside bit of us calling him Dr. P. You should know the There's full nothing, name. Nothing better than a Chris Dr. P. I mean, he's not half wrong. All right. So. I, All right, guys. It's Magic we, Night. We're going to get the fuck out of here. Let's go tap some cardboard. This has been the Mock Stars Podcast. Thank you for listening. I love you all. Goodbye. Bye. It is Chris Dr. P. I've been sucking on all episode.